0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: And just like that, we're back. Hey, second time this week, Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. We have got a jam-packed show. It's a jam-packed week. To be honest, we're just going to be jam-packed forever. But If that's not the case, it's at least going to stretch throughout the regular season. So happy you're with us. Five-star reviews if you haven't already dropped one. Please do that. I know via my email inbox, we have got several new listeners each and every episode, which stands to reason now that the season is here. And hey, maybe we'll get another wave in about a month from the Big Ten, and then a third wave from the West Coast in another month. So we appreciate every one of you listening to us. What we do here is a full mailbag. It's all Q&A. It's the stuff that I can't get to on Late Kick Live, which airs Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday night live on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel at 8 Eastern, 7 Central. Subscribe there as well, if you haven't already. And we just gather them here. And this time of year is the first time of year I can tell you we cannot get to every question that you're submitting. There are so many of them. And so what I notice is there are themes. For instance, I would say I have roughly 14 billion LSU questions this morning, so I'm just going to kind of lump them all into one themed question, and I'm going to try and hit what you want hit, and we're going to go a number of different directions this morning. Doesn't always have to be college football. As you know, there are certain avenues we don't go down, but the fun ones, oh, I'm more than willing to go down. The the behind-the-scenes questions, more than willing to go down those. So we're going to dive right into it this morning, and thank you again for listening. You could tell that intro was pre-recorded, but the thing about it is, it wasn't really pre-recorded. I did it five seconds ago, and then I stopped to transition to the first question. And if you wouldn't do it on live radio, why would you do it with a podcast? You know what? I digress. I'll put that in the post-show QCR report. So we're gonna we're gonna start talking about LSU, and we're gonna bounce all over the place here. Had a, as I said, a bunch of questions about LSU, but I kind of wanted to sum it up. I think in this one. It was Tom Hickson, friend of the program, heard from him many times before. Tom said, I get that this year is kind of us playing with house money, but seeing as what state did to us was a gut punch, should I be worried at all about LSU's future outlook as a program? I believe LSU can be a tier one program personally down the road, but that was rough. It was rough, wasn't it, Tom? A little wake-up call. I did a piece for 247sports.com that should be out later this morning, actually and I do the mood tracker, and I did LSU's mood tracker, and my preseason mood tracker for LSU, as you may remember, was House Money Swagger. It's like you've already won a million, two million, ten million bucks, you get a national title, in other words, in your back pocket, and anything else you get this year, that'd be great, but they can't take last year from you. Well, I upgraded their mood to Stubbed Toe Swagger, which still has you with the swagger, but it's as if you walked through a dark room and you caught your toe on the side of a door or side of a a table that you didn't know was there. Man, it hurts. Oh, it hurts. And that's exactly what Mississippi State was. Mississippi State was the table corner in the dark room where you're groggy and you're heading in there to get some water or whatever the case may be. And boom, there's that toe. Catch it right on the corner. That was Mississippi State. How does it affect the future, though? Well, it affects the future, Tom, in telling you that uh, we're going to have to go at least one more week before we before we figure out, can we develop our own quarterback in-house here? That's been the problem forever at LSU, if we're being honest with ourselves. And then last year, everything changed. Now, what we were hoping had changed was just everything. And Joe Burrow was just the first case study in what was going to be a long line of now successful quarterback play, whether they be transfers or whether they be homegrown and recruited and developed in house, because everything about our philosophy here at LSU, oh, it's all changed now. Now we are very much getting ahead of ourselves here, very much. So I'm not drawing conclusions on Miles Brennan. I think that would be very, very short sighted to do. If you believed in him, I don't know that week one removes my belief. However, if you didn't believe in him, week one certainly doesn't make you buy in. So I understand it should very much be a wait and see game on both sides of that fence. But that would be my biggest concern about the future. My biggest concern would be, uh, and it would grow more and more. You know, If if you don't take care of Vanderbilt this week, for example, it would grow uh, very quickly more and more to the degree of, I wonder if that really was just a case of us having Joe Brady come in here and he merged at the exact right time with the exact right transfer quarterback. And maybe we're sitting here in a few years talking the same way that our rivals in Auburn talk, where it took them forever and still really hasn't happened yet. Bo Nix may change this narrative, but it still hasn't happened to where they get their own quarterback in there and develop him. Anytime Auburn's contended for anything, whether it be Cam Newton or Nick Marshall, those guys came in via transfer or JUCO or something like that. I hope that's not what we have to do here. That would be my fear. If I were an LSU fan, that's where my mindset would be. Now, there was another question right below that that sort of centered around, was there anything positive to take away from that Mississippi State loss? Yeah. Speaking of transfers, did anyone see Drabil Cox? That's the new linebacker they have from North Dakota State. He played out of his mind. He looked like a vintage LSU linebacker. They had a couple more, but he's the one who stood out to me. That's a great sign. That's wonderful. And it, quite frankly, it provides the blueprint at linebacker that you used at quarterback with Joe Burrow. Now, Cox hasn't been there two years. He's been there one year, but that's going to happen more and more with LSU and with other programs, high profile in nature, that's going to happen more and more, and that is why whether it be, you know, offensive line, if you got a bunch of juniors and seniors right now, whether it be quarterback or whether it be any kind of position unit where you're trying to project two or three years down the road, I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time doing that anymore. And the reason is obvious. With the proliferation of transfers and that number's only going up year over year, if you're Texas A&M or if you're Tennessee or if you're LSU, how does anyone know what a unit is going to look like two years from now, really one year from now, but let's stretch it down. Two years from now, if you're looking at defensive line and you're saying, or linebacker, let's say linebacker. If you're looking at linebacker and you're saying, boy, we're going to be, ooh, we're going to be thin in two years. We're going to lose this guy to the draft and that guy could go out as well. And this guy's going to graduate one way or the other. You don't know. Did you guys even know the name of Jabril Cox last year? I don't think you did. And he's a high profile FCS player. So you, you never know, as long as your program is attractive and LSU is as a destination for a potential transfer, you never know what could be in the works that you would never have even thought of. Timothy is up next. Timothy said, I liked the season previews you guys did. Timothy, those were grand season previews, not just regular old season previews. See, that's the thing about a season preview. If you're not going to go grand, don't go at all. As you can tell, those were not Timothy's words. Those were mine. I was editorializing. And we will shut up now and continue with Timothy's question because it's a show for you and not me. Timothy said, I like those season previews. Are you going to do them for the Big Ten? And the answer, Timothy, is yes, we are. I was looking through some of our data yesterday, which is also boring and also something I'm not going to waste time talking about. But I was looking through our data on the YouTube channel. I was looking at our most popular videos what's the highest click-through rate, what's the most watch time on average, and the Big Ten videos have done phenomenal. Now, a lot of it was drama, and a lot of it was because you guys wanted to treat Kevin Warren like a pinata, and I wasn't I mad at it. Hey, I was happy to provide the information for you. But what I'm telling you is, when we're producing content, we produce what there's an audience for. It's really plain and simple. The channel is not for me. The channel is for you. Every show I do, it's built for you. And there are a lot of things that I care about that you don't care about, so I don't waste time talking about them. Conversely, there's a lot of stuff you do care about. Now, thankfully, I happen to care about what you care about too. Otherwise, that would be boring for me. But even if it was, I'd still do it. Now, the Big Ten, not boring to talk about. And yes, we are going to do grand season previews. It will not be done for every single team. I think that's for obvious reasons it's a business, not a charity, but I do like to touch on as many as I can. And so what I'll do kind of is obviously you'll get an Ohio State grand season preview, Penn State, Michigan, like we'll hit those teams. Wisconsin will probably get one. But if I don't hit Purdue or if I don't hit Indiana, believe me, we will still talk about them. Now it may be in a Big Ten preview video that's done in totality, but we will talk about them because you see, I watch all of them. I watch all these teams. I watch most of the G5s, even though some of you think I hate them. I watch all the G5s. So I just watch this stuff all day. I sit there with six screens in front of me and I watch it wall to wall on Saturdays and then watch a lot of games on replay again. Condensed games on YouTube are wonderful, by the way. So I could sit here and talk about it all day. But if there's something or a topic or a team or program that you guys care about at a 10 to 1 ratio to another one, Obviously I got to give that one more spotlight because at that point if I didn't it would be a disservice to you. Barry is next up. Barry's got a really important question guys. I want you to pause on this Thursday morning here, October 1st by the way. Hello. Remember to say rabbit rabbit. If you're superstitious or just a little stitious, remember to say rabbit rabbit. Barry asked me flat out, what's your favorite wrestling match of all time? Barry, I'm so glad you gave me an opportunity to go down the road and tell you that at SummerSlam 1998 in Madison Square Garden, Triple H and The Rock, neither of which had made it to main event status yet. Both would go on to be Hall of Famers. They had a ladder match at SummerSlam there, and I thought it was phenomenal. thought it was one of the best matches I've ever seen. It also was the first pay-per-view my parents ever let me buy. Such a huge deal. If you're younger, you may not even know. I don't know if they even use the term pay-per-view anymore. I know the Oklahoma game was on pay-per-view recently. But most people just have a streaming option. They don't have the cable box in their house where you order it and you beg your parents to the last minute or you hope that they're asleep and you just can tell them you accidentally sat on the remote and it ordered it for you. Try that one before too. It, it ordered the event successfully. The excuse did not go over successfully. So that match at SummerSlam is one of my favorites. I also, I'm, I'm a big Shawn Michaels guy. thought he was the best in-ring performer of all time. So there was a time where he came back a few years later at SummerSlam 2002. A lot of great matches at SummerSlam. And lastly, before we move on here, quickly, for those of you who don't care about wrestling, quickly, I am of the opinion, and always will be, that if they had not had Stone Cold Steve Austin make a heel turn at WrestleMania 17, which I believe to be the best WrestleMania of all time, it was in the Astrodome in Houston, I am a believer that the main event that he put on with The Rock at WrestleMania 17, had they not done the heel turn at the end, would have been the greatest wrestling match of all time. I'm, I'm going back through Flair, Steamboat. I'm going through all those matches. that with the, with the biggest consequences and the biggest marquee on it, that would have been the best match of all time. But they did do the heel turn and took a chair to The Rock 37 times with Vince McMahon's approval, and the rest is history. That's close to the time where I stopped watching wrestling and haven't gone back to the product since then. Let me give you a little behind the scenes here. What a situation has unfolded here at the apartment complex this early morning. Uh, That wrestling question, it sounds like I just stopped it. No, I stopped that about 10 minutes ago and had to stop the recording because a dog has begun going crazy outside. And I shut my patio doors, and I don't have a patio. I live on like the second floor here. But I shut everything that I had open because it's like 65 degrees outside, and it feels great, and this dog won't shut up. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to continue because I'm on kind of a tight schedule here. And if you occasionally hear some barking in the background, it's not Georgia homerism. I'm not at an impound lot. It's just a dog that has been left alone, probably hadn't had its breakfast yet. And it, it just wants to be a contributor to the show. So I've made the decision. I'm going to allow it. Now, this is what we call a transition. Speaking of dogs, Samar is here with the next question. With the level that Georgia has recruited at in the last few years, how much pressure should Kirby Smart feel knowing he has a championship or bust expectation, but also the fact that he could say the only reason Georgia is competing for a national title is because of me? Beautifully worded question here. I hope you caught that at the end. What he said was, speaking in Kirby Smart's voice, all right, I got a lot of pressure on me. However, all these recruits wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. We wouldn't be a contender if it wasn't for me. I don't think he'll ever say that publicly. But yeah, maybe Kirby Smart does feel that way. And To a degree, he'd be right. He he has taken Georgia recruiting to previously not seen levels of success. This talent roster, I know that he and Gus Malzahn have kind of sniped back and forth this week, probably does have the most talented roster. At the very least, right there with Alabama in all of the conference. Yes, that does put a lot of pressure on you. Yes, it does. Some of my very earliest memories when I was a kid is we were, when I was first born, we lived in Columbus, Georgia. And when I was born, obviously I was very young. I don't know if you guys were to have picked up on that if I didn't point it out, but when you're born, you're young. And so I was very young, but some of my first memories were we started to build a new house just north of Columbus up in Harris County, forts and raised, hashtag. And so we would take trips, the dog has started barking again. We would take trips up to that land to watch the house being built. And I remember, even at a young age, feeling excitement. These are my first memories. I was like two, three years old or something like that. So my first memories were of thinking, wow, look at this house. I'd never seen a house built before. I hadn't even built a Lego house before. But I thought, this is going to be so great. Once we are able to move into it, it's going to be great. So when you're watching something built, it's really exciting. Just like when you're watching this number one recruiting class come in and that number one recruiting class come in, you're willing to celebrate it. Why were you willing to celebrate those recruiting classes, Georgia fans? You're willing to celebrate it because you looked across the street and you see the house your neighbor's living in, or in this case, the teams that Nick Saban has built in Tuscaloosa, and you say, we're going to have that soon. Yeah, that's the way I would think too. And now we get to Samara's question again, what happens if you build the house and then you say, all right, house is built, but we're just going to stand out here on the street. What? Well, that doesn't work for me, mom, dad, that doesn't work. Why did we build this thing if we're not going to live in it? Why did we recruit these players if we're not going to win titles with them? Yes, they only care about the classes and they only care about building the roster and they only celebrate that until the roster is built. Well, here's the blessing slash problem that Kirby Smart finds himself facing in Athens. Roster's built. No one wants to celebrate three more recruiting classes and give you a pass anymore. While they wait, no, 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 no. Roster's built now. You could argue, and you'd probably be right. This is, at the very least, a one A, if not flat out number one roster in the conference. And yet we're sitting here chewing our fingernails off if we're a Georgia fan, talking about whether we're going to beat Auburn. We had to trail Arkansas at the half Saturday. We don't know if we have the answers at quarterback. And what happens if you lose Saturday? I mean, let's just throw that out there. They're favored by seven. I picked Georgia to win a very close game. Our model has Georgia by seven and a half. I think it's tighter even than our model thinks it is. Really hard-pressed, unless someone's plus four turnovers. It's really hard-pressed for me to see anyone pull away in this game. But think about it. I mean, think about if Georgia goes 8-2, and 7-3 and three this year. If they never get quarterback rectified. What if that happens? I think it is a lot of pressure. I absolutely think it is. Because 2017, we had another question. I'm going to go ahead and lump this one in now. The 2017 conundrum. 2017 conundrum was this. It was year two under Kirby Smart. Everything seemed so ahead of schedule. And Georgia got to a national championship game. And keep in mind, they had a five-star quarterback on that team that got hurt in week one. That was Jacob Eason. And then they had to replace him with a true freshman. His name was Jake Fromm. So not only were they ahead of expectation? They were doing it with a backup quarterback, a true freshman who they did not plan on starting at any point that year, and he was just pressed into action. But they rode dominant defensive play, really good ground game, ball control, low variance, uh, very few mistakes made by that team. They rode that formula all the way through the regular season, They got a rematch against Auburn in the SEC title game. They avenged or revenged themselves, as some of my buddies back home would say. When I say my buddies back home, I mean the same one or two idiots that I've known my whole life that I'm talking about. And they know who they are, and they listen, and they don't mind being called idiots. So they got through Atlanta, and then they go to the playoffs, and they beat Lincoln Riley, Sooners team, in a classic overtime thing in the Rose Bowl thing. It just did a thing out there. And they go to the national title game, and they go to overtime, and they get 2 wood. They get second and 26th. The conundrum was, it's terrible losing a national title game. It is horrible, especially when you know or you think you know you had it, and it's in your own backyard, and everything about the storybook ending was written, and then it someone smudged the pages, and it got erased and rewritten. The conundrum is, you walk out of that building that night, figuratively or literally, and you're heartbroken. But here's what you know in the back of your mind: we, we've only, in, in the words of the carpenters, we've only just begun. And imagine what it's going to be. You know, you said it. I'm just going to finish the sentence for you. Imagine what it's going to be like once we have Kirby's players here. Cause hey, this was still a lot of ricked players. It's only year two. Imagine once we had this roster full of Kirby's players, imagine how much better we'll be. You hadn't gotten that close since. Now you've only had a couple of shots, but you hadn't gotten that close since. The conundrum is every year removed, you get from that. You get one year closer to wondering, is that the closest we're ever going to come? I can't believe I'm saying this, but is that actually the closest we're ever going to come? And years like this would not help because no one in Athens, Georgia is concerned about using COVID as an excuse. No one is thinking that. No one. In fact, they're looking around and saying, well, if anything, we should be at a bigger advantage because we have great resources. We have a deep roster. We didn't have a ton of guys that had to miss practice as far as we know. As far as we know, no one's interested in excuse making is the point. This was a very good question because yes, yes. Everyone, including Kirby Smart knows and Kirby Smart knows everyone knows he's got his roster. The house is built. And if he can't move you into the house, then people start asking, do we need to make another decision here? I mean, did we not? I thought we hired a do it all. I thought we hired a construction company and a moving company. But if we just hired a builder, but we don't have a mover, if they can't move us into the house and he just built the house, that's great. We'll say thank you for the house but we got to find someone who can move us in here now. And we got to find someone who can put up the wallpaper and arrange the furniture and settle us in here and have a barbecue and invite the neighbors over. Can Kirby smart conduct a barbecue? Can Kirby smart hang the wallpaper? Can he give you a bath before he puts you to bed at night? That's all I want to know about Kirby smart. Ultimately it's about whether he can give you a bath before he puts you to bed at night. I hope I haven't been unclear.
0: eBay motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential,
1: Stephanie is next, another longtime contributor and friend of the show. She said, Where do you come up with your jokes? Stephanie, easiest answer ever. I don't come up with them. If I tried to come up with them, they'd suck. It's my opinion being funny on purpose is one of the hardest jobs in the world. That's why when I'm funny, it's only by accident. When I say stuff on these shows, it's only because. If you talk long enough, you're bound to accidentally stumble into a funny joke. And that is my theory on any good joke that I tell, whether it be on the podcast or on Late Kick Live. I have watched stand-up comedians before. Those are people who are trying to be funny and successfully being funny, the good ones at least. Never got Dane Cook, sidebar, I know it's been a little while, but Dane Cook, there was a period of time where that guy was selling out arenas not comedy clubs with 800 people, arenas. You people, and I do mean you people, were packing arenas, 20,000 strong, to go watch Dane Cook. I have a low threshold for comedy. As I've told our bud Elliot before, I think Joe Dirt is hilarious. So I do not have this refined, sophisticated, English patient is great, but Jaws is terrible view of the world. And comedy is the same way. So if if, if it's even remotely funny, I'm laughing at it. I watched Dane Cook, and I never cracked a smile. So aside from Dane Cook, most stand-up comedians who are successful are funny. I watch those people. I'm in awe of them. That's, that's crazy that you can intentionally be funny and be successful at it. When I'm funny... It may make you laugh, but believe me, it was not scripted. If I tried to script it, you'll know because you'll see that I just tried to make a joke and it went over like the, oh, I mean, I don't want to say lead balloon because everyone says lead balloon, but that's exactly what it goes over as. So thank you for the question, Stephanie. And if you want to believe that I'm doing that on purpose, I don't mind. I don't mind at all. But just know it's kind of like expecting that money under your pillow after you lose a tooth. that That's kind of the world we're living in right now, if you believe I'm writing that stuff. Next up, this is guaranteed to be a good question because it is sent to us by Josh. And Josh says, Josh, I'm a huge fan of the show. Well, thank you, Josh. I'm a diehard Gator fan. My preseason SEC championship prediction was, hey, get this, Florida versus Texas A&M. All righty. After watching what Mississippi State did to LSU, though, it tells me they are a serious contender to Alabama and could face Florida in the SEC championship. Hold up here. What do you mean they're a contender to Alabama? You picked A&M. and m hasn't lost a game yet. All right, I digress. Let's move on. It's not what he's asking. My question is, do you believe Mississippi State is just smoke and mirrors, or are they good enough to make a serious run and cause some upsets? Well, they're obviously good enough to cause some upsets. Uh There's no one in the room, but I'm going to say it anyway. Hey, remind me to tell you something about smoke and mirrors in a second. All right, that's on you guys because there's no one in here right now, except for the dog who is still very active outside. So the thing about uh, Mississippi State is they are the quintessential upset alert. You know, it's kind of like if my little uh, four-year-old nephew is swinging a baseball bat and he's swinging it at my knees. I, I have enough wingspan where I can reach out and I can put my hand on top of his head, and I can keep him at arm's length, and he can't hurt me. That's kind of how Mississippi State will feel to a team like Alabama. Alabama and Nick Saban, they know they got an advantage on them at virtually every roster position and position unit, but they're still dangerous. Because if, they, if you just look away for a second, if you let them within arm's reach for a second, they will club your shin with that baseball bat. And then when you fall to the ground, they're not going to laugh. They're just going to keep clubbing it and swinging over and over and over again. And then afterwards, they're going to make fun of you, and they're going to deadpan comedy right there on the field, and they're going to talk about how they couldn't schedule Green Bay, so they had to settle for you instead, and how they were surprised you played them so simply defensively, but hey, they're happy to take advantage of it. Mike Leach kind of said all these things Saturday, in case you missed it. So yeah, they'll worry everyone. No, I don't think they are a threat to win the West. I don't think that. In fact, I don't know that we've gotten an answer about Mississippi State yet. Uh, Listen, this is a team who bombed away on LSU. I happen to think that the path is going to be a little more difficult than that. They may play less talented teams. For instance, maybe they'll play Arkansas Saturday, and Arkansas will make it tougher on them defensively than LSU did. In fact, I think that's going to happen. I'm not calling upset alert. What I'm saying is, I think Arkansas is going to be a tougher out defensively than LSU was. So make sense of that for me. But I do not believe they are a threat to win the West. In fact, if you were to put right now, given they have a win under their belt, if you put their over-under win total at uh, seven and a half, I'd still absolutely take the under. I'd probably take the under at six and a half, guys. Uh, this This is probably a team that's a lot closer to five and five, six and four than they are eight and two. I know that maybe if you had only seen week one, which is all any of us have seen, that's kind of hard to believe because they look like world beaters. It is not my belief that you can go through an entire regular season down here or especially a 10 game conference schedule and have that kind of offensive imbalance. I just don't think you're throwing for half a mile on someone and running for a couple of inches. Don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to pan out that way. So We'll see. I mean, every week we'll get a new, fresh set of data points, and maybe they'll score 60 on Arkansas this weekend. Maybe they will. I don't know that that would have proven anything, but th- maybe they will. So we'll kind of have to revisit this, I guess, as the weeks go on. Tristan had a pretty interesting question here. With week one of SEC play in the books, it's time for me to overreact. And here's my overreaction. Could the SEC East be the better division in the conference for the first time in a long time. Obviously, it's too early to tell, and the added cross-divisional games should make it clear at the end of the season, but they seem neck and neck right now. As usual, and as most people probably did, Tristan, as I was reading the question, I scoffed at the notion. Then I thought about it a little deeper. Uh, I like to do seeding for these sorts of things, so if we were to seed the conference, and we were to go one versus one, two versus two, so on and so on, which is the only way I would ever value bowl season, by the way. It's always aggravated me that you could have a conference. Let's say the ACC goes uh, four and two against the SEC in the bowl season, but the top two teams from the SEC made the playoff. And so you had teams that would have been the three or four seed, in the bowl rotation for the SEC, bumped up to the one and two spots. And you have a situation where the ACC's number two team is playing the SEC's number five team. I don't care about that. That doesn't tell me anything about conference strength or conference supremacy. The only time you would have a true test is if you had one versus one, two versus two, three versus three. So let's just pretend the SEC divisions are headed into bowl season. If we paired them up like so, who would we favor? Well, the one versus one, let's just call it Alabama. Um, let's call it Alabama, Florida right now. Let's just do that. You can call it Alabama, Georgia. We'll call it Alabama, Florida. I would favor Alabama there, but then we get to the number two, and who's the number two in the SEC West? I don't know. We wouldn't say LSU right now, would we? Say Auburn? Would we say A and M? Because either either way we're going. If we're picking Auburn, for example, well, they're facing Georgia. Georgia's the number two over there right now. And uh, well, those teams play Saturday, and Georgia's favored by seven, and you can shave off whatever you think they're giving for home field. I can tell you it's about one and a half this year. Well, that still means odds makers would lean Georgia. I would have to slightly lean Georgia there if we're putting Auburn in the number two spot. If we're putting A and M there, I would still lean Georgia. If we're putting LSU there, I would still I think lean Georgia, yes, I would. there's no thinking. And then we get down to the three spot. The three spots probably where you lean maybe back towards the SEC West because it's Tennessee versus, and then we're filling in the blank there again. If it's Auburn, I would probably favor t- Auburn. Uh, if it's A&M, probably favor A&M. If it's LSU, I probably favor LSU. It's tough to say. I do it with gritted teeth because we are through one week where LSU was humbled at the hands of Mike Leach's system. But then again, that's KJ Costello. I don't think Jerry Garantano is throwing for 630-some-odd yards this month, much less in a game. I know that's harsh, but search your hearts. You know it to be true. So um, we start getting deeper there. Who's the fourth team? Fourth team, is it Missouri? Is it Kentucky? It's definitely Kentucky. In fact, you could put Kentucky in the three spot if you wanted to. But we're getting a little deeper there. And if we were to have Kentucky play, oh, say, Mississippi State or Ole Miss, well, they play Saturday. Don't they? Kentucky plays Ole Miss Saturday. So, you know what, Tristan? I think this question would probably be better saved for one week from now. Because, as you said, cross divisional matchups are going to start telling us a lot. And I view every game as a neutral site game this year, essentially. Because home field, with the exception maybe of Columbia, South Carolina, the other night, which sounded like it was on fire, sounded like it was the, the Indianapolis 500, sounded like there were 200,000 people there. So, good job in uh, Columbia. But aside from that, haven't really seen home field matter all that much. I mean, g- granted, like if you're Louisiana Tech and you're traveling to Brigham Young to play tonight, yeah, that's a little different. You're probably having to make four or five connections to get there, but, but they, they fly direct in this conference to uh, make it sound as conceited as possible. So yeah, let's wait one or two more weeks before we say that. Eric next up with one of my favorite kind of questions because he leads it with a little bit about himself. He said, Josh, hello from the Middle East. I'm on my fourth tour in the desert, but I love the show and the perspective that you bring to it, especially when dealing with, insert team name here, fanatics. I'm an FSU fan, so despite growing up in Kansas, I've loved them since 1987. My Knowles have had it rough for several years now. I'd love for you to address the following question on your show. What three things must FSU do to become a top five power program again? I get a lot of these. I should point them out every time. A ton of you listen who are overseas, who are in service, who are active duty. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Let me give you the obligatory thank you for your service. I sincerely mean it. I just know that you hear it all the time. But thank you from the bottom of my heart and the listening audience's heart. Secondly, I always just want to tell you this. When I record a show or when I do a show, um sort of one of the devices, the mental devices that I use when I do it is I try and envision, I've said this before, I think, I try and envision someone listening somewhere. Sometimes it's a truck driver on a three-day haul across the country. Sometimes it is someone jogging. Sometimes it's someone trying to pass the time at work. Someone it's someone maybe in a lawnmower every now and then. But a lot of time, what I'm envisioning is an active duty military personnel member somewhere I get them all over the place. I get them everywhere from Japan to Germany. We got a ton of them who listen in all parts of the Middle East. and um, That's why I never, I never do a show in a bad mood because it's stupid to ever be in a bad mood when someone's paying you to talk about college football. That's obvious. but The other obvious part is maybe you're the 45-minute chunk of someone's day where they can just escape whatever they want to escape for a little while. What if you are, and this is crazy for me to think about, but what if you are their best form of entertainment and most alleviating few moments from an otherwise really, really difficult job or chore or very stressful situation they're in? That is how I envision the situation when we're recording, just to give you a little backstory there. So thank you so much for the email, Eric. I'm going to answer it in a second, but thank you so much for the email and letting me know where you are. And I always appreciate you guys doing that. It's like free market research too. So thank you. But as for the question, what things must FSU do to become a top five power program? Well, you can't plant seeds in the wrong kind of soil. That's obvious. Even if you haven't gardened, that's obvious. So what kind of soil do they have there right now? Because I'm worried about it. I'm really worried about Mike Norvell and the the task he has at hand right now. Because when the season goes off the rails really early, in a normal year, it's dangerous. But look around right now and think about what he is supposed to be in the middle of. He's supposed to be in the middle of a rebuild down there. Now, with the rebuild, you think in your mind, okay, the seeds have been planted. Now we're just we're waiting for the growth and the eventual harvest. We just have to wait. We have to have patience. That's true. But what if, what if the seeds aren't planted? Like What if you don't have the right soil? And I'm not just talking about the right players, I'm talking about the right culture with which to put the players in. My concern, my biggest concern with FSU right now would be things have gone sideways early. What if things become very tumultuous behind the scenes? What if the the locker room situation becomes cancerous and I don't know this to be true I'm saying this is a danger that I worry about. And what if more harm than good is done this year? What if you get to the end of 2020 in the season. And you say, if you're Mike Norvell, I'm further away now than I was when I got here. How is that even possible? Well, it's possible to go backwards. That's the bottom line. It's very possible. And that's what I worry about. So the first thing that he has to have is he has to have the right soil. The second thing he has to have is the right seeds to put in it. That's recruiting. So you got to develop relationships, in other words, and they got to be able to put together top five classes. I mean, that's the bottom line. Who are we trying to compete against here? You're trying to go eight and four and win a few games against Virginia and Wake Forest. What are we trying to do? We're trying to go nine and three. Are we trying to go 12 and oh? We're trying to compete for a national title because you said top five program to do that. You got to have top five personnel. You got to be able to because, because Clemson has it and they're not underperforming. Alabama has it and they're not underperforming. This isn't a situation where you say, all right, let's just get close and then we'll out coach them. No, you won't. No, you won't. I don't care how good a coaching job you're doing. You better have the players. So that's part two. And then part three is developing them and then executing in the few games a year where you're in an absolute dogfight, even when you have a loaded roster. And that's really it. And, and maintaining proper culture the, the, all the while. Having full program buy-in. Having everyone in your corner. That's one of the hardest intangible parts of this business, if you're a coach, and this sport, if you're a fan. And you're just observing, is to understand what it's like at Alabama, to understand what it is like at a Georgia, for example, now where it didn't used to be, and to understand how thoroughly those machines are operating, every aspect. You would be stunned. Even from the outside, you think you know and you don't know how well oiled those machines are, how massive they are, and how well oiled they are. If anyone gets out of line, it's like watching North Korean military exercises. You watch all those things and you see how in, how perfectly in unison those soldiers march and those tanks move. Well, there's a reason because if anyone's out of line, they know what happens to them. That's the same way it is. If you're in that machine at Alabama or Georgia, if you get out of line, not going to be a good time for you. All the more reason to stay in line. If you observe that, if you have a a situation or if you have an opportunity like someone like me has to observe that from somewhat of an inside position, you're stunned they ever lose a football game. Because when you see what they do and therefore you see what it's going to take to compete against them, it's such an impossible seeming task for a new coach to build something that's even remotely comparable to what Saban has at Alabama or what Dabo now has at Clemson. Kirby has it at Georgia. I mean, listen, that's kind of the difference even with Lincoln. Lincoln Riley out at Oklahoma. They're a very good program. There is still a gap, a pretty sizable one, between Oklahoma and those big boys. I'm not saying they couldn't meet on a football field any given Saturday and Oklahoma may pop one of them. I'm not saying they couldn't do that. Of course they could. I'm talking about the level that a program is flying at. They're not flying at the level Alabama's flying at. It takes a long time to get there. And if you get there in a shorter amount of time, it means you've hired a rock star head coach and you're on the fast track for long-term success. And at that point, the bigger question is, can you keep him? Because the NFL is going to come calling for anyone like that. Only reason Saban's not there is because he's tried it before and he's about to be 70 years old. And that's not a new chapter he wants to write. Because if Nick Saban were 60 again, Nick Saban would be back to the NFL. I guarantee you he'd be back to the NFL. All right, we had really good questions this morning. We have got a big show tonight. It is our prediction special. We get all the predictions out of the way on Thursday. We do the big predictions on Tuesday. So if you're a Georgia fan or an Auburn fan or an A and M Alabama, or if you're just interested in those games, we already have the full game predictions, breakdowns, picks against the spread, our projected final score, well, our projected margin of victory at least. We do all that in the preview. We do basically just tell you everything you need to know, and we give you a full game capsule and. You do with it what you will. So we got a lot already on the channel on the twenty four seven Sports YouTube channel. We'll have more coming up tonight. So make sure you go there and subscribe. We had like four hundred people subscribe in one day the other day. That was really good. It was like a, a charity drive that it paid off. And so we want those to continue coming in. And if you're listening to the podcast, give us a five star review. We're over seven hundred now. So we hit that milestone. We want to get to a thousand. We will not rest when we get to a thousand, but we especially won't rest until we get there. Tani has challenged me. He doesn't think we can do it by the end of the year. I think we can. So let's do it. Prove Tani wrong. If nothing else in your life, make it your goal to prove Tani wrong. He talks about you bad behind your back. He gossips about you. He he really makes fun of your cousin. So let's prove him wrong. None of what I just said is true. But prove him wrong anyway. So with that being said, Jordan's the one who's editing the podcast today. It's out of Tani's hands, so he can't do anything about it. So thank you to Jordan on the production side. Thank you to you for listening. I'm Josh Pate. This has been the Late Kick Extra. God bless. Have a great day, and we will see you on Late Kick Live later tonight.
0: Okay, picture this.